ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار We continue with the sisters classes and this is class number 13 which we are covering the tafsir of surah al-fatiha uh, matters of jurisprudence connected to the affairs of women and benefits from the biographies of the wives of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam In the last class we had arrived to the end of surah al-Fatiha غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين not the path of those whom your anger is upon nor the path of those So we asked Allah Azza wa Jal or we ask Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah Al-Fatiha Ihdina as-sirata al-mustaqim Sirata al-lazina an'amta alayhim Ghayr al-mahdubi alayhim Walad-dalim Guide us to the straight path The path of those whom your favor is upon And not the path of those whom your anger is upon Or those who are astray So there are three categories of people. The first category of people, those whom Allah he favors them. And they are the prophets, the truthful, the martyrs and the righteous. These are the people Allah Azza wa Jalla has blessed them and he blesses them and he will bless them. And then you have 
to other categories of people who are outside of the favor of Allah. They are not blessed and favored by Allah The first category mentioned those whom Allah's anger is upon. And they are the Yahud. And this is what the Prophet explained. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-maqboob alayhim khumul yahud Those whom Allah's anger is upon, they are the Yahud. This is the statement of the Prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And we must accept that which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has conveyed to us. And then he mentioned sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and those who are astray, they are the Nasara. And we come with the reason why Allah Azzawajal described the Yahud as being those whom his anger is upon is due to them having knowledge, but they don't practice their knowledge. And as for the Nasara, Allah Azzawajal described them as being those who are astray. Because they have practices that are based upon ignorance. They don't have practices based upon revelation. So the Yahud, they know the revelation, but they don't implement it. The Nasara have implementation, but implementation is not based on revelation, it's based upon their doubts and their ignorance. So in both cases, this is not what Allah Azawajal has legislated or is pleased with. And this is different from the path of those whom Allah has favored. So with that being said, it is important that the Muslims, we understand and we know that it is not allowed for us to imitate the people of the book, the Yahud and the Nasara. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned, مَن تَشَبَّهَا بِكَوْمٍ فُهُوَ that whoever imitates a people, then he is from them. Whoever imitates a people, then he is from them. So it is important that we do not imitate the people of the book, or other than them, from the non-Muslims, the disbelievers. As Allah Azawajal has given us an example to follow, and the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the prophets and the messengers and those who follow them. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala he has authored a beautiful work titled Iqtida' al-Sirat al-Mustaqeem Mukhalafa li-Ashab al-Jaheem from the from that which is required and necessitated from following the straight path is differing from the way of the companions of the hellfire. And in this book, the Shaykh speaks about the issues of following and imitating the people of the book and how this is prohibited and how we should not celebrate uh, their celebrations or observe their holidays and the likes. And many of the things from their attributes, which is in opposition to what Prophet Muhammad Wasallam came with. And, and he mentioned some affairs that some of the Muslims, we follow them in those affairs, but it's not befitting for us to follow them in those affairs. 
So we wanted to mention or cover some matters that some of the Muslims have fallen into in following the people of the book. And this is not allowed for us to do. And this goes against the way of the prophets and the messengers. The first matter is al-hasad, jealousy. This is from the traits of the people of the book. As Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions, "Wada kathirum min ahl al-kitab lau yurudunakum min baghi imanikum kufara hasadam min indi anfusihim." Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions that many from the people of the book they love that if they were able to turn you back after your faith to be disbelievers. And this is due to their jealousy from themselves. So here Allah Azza wa Jal describe the people of the book as having a desire and a love to make the Muslims leave their religion and to go back to being disbelievers like them. And why? Due to hasad, due to jealousy. From themselves Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah he stated وَقَدْ يُبْتَلَى بَعْضُ الْمُنْتَسِبِينَ إِلَى الْعِلْمِ وَغَيْرِهِمْ بِنَوْعْ مِنَ الْحَسَدِ لِمَنْ هَدَاهُ اللَّهِ لِعِلْمٍ نَافِعٍ وَعَمْلٍ صَالِحٍ وَهُوَ فِي هَذَا الْمَوْضُوعِ وَمَوْضِعِ مِنْ أَخْلَاقِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ he said, it is possible that some individuals who are ascribed to knowledge and other than them are tested with this type of jealousy for the one whom Allah has guided to having beneficial knowledge and right, all righteous actions. And in this situation, this is from the characteristics of those whom Allah's anger is upon. So what this means... If we see someone that Allah has favored the person to be religious, to have beneficial knowledge, to have righteous actions accompanying that beneficial knowledge, if we see this type of individual and we become jealous of this person, hoping and wishing and having the feeling within ourselves that this person does not have that benefit or that favor, then we have resembled those whom Allah's anger is upon. Because this is their characteristic. They were jealous of the Muslims. And they still are jealous of the Muslims. Where's the jealousy coming from? The jealousy comes from the fact that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was not from the lineage of Ishaq, but rather from the lineage of Ismail. As the prophets and the messengers of Bani Israel, they're from the lineage of Ishaq. And they were waiting for a prophet and messenger to come. So that they can be with him combating the idolaters. But when the prophet Muhammad came and he's from the lineage of Ismail and not from the lineage of Ishaq, the jealousy set in.
And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned Al-Yahud Yahsadunakum Ala Shay'ain As-Salam Wa-Ameen Or Kama Qala Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam That the Yahud They are jealous of you For two things the salam, meaning the greetings, assalamu alaikum. And the second matter, ameen, after the recitation of Surah Al-Fatiha in the Salah. And as a side point, this is an indication that the ameen is said out loud. Because how could the Yehud be jealous of something that they don't hear? They used to hear after the Prophet Sallallahu would recite Fatiha, they would hear the Muslims saying, Ameen. They would hear it. So they would be jealous of that. So one should not be jealous of those whom Allah Azza wa Jal has favored with beneficial knowledge and righteous actions. Hoping for their demise or wishing that they didn't have this blessing. The permissible jealousy for a person who has knowledge and righteous actions is you wish you had what they have without them losing their blessing. This is allowed. You see somebody as righteous. Allah has favored a person with Quran and the person he, his character is the, is the, the character that is commanded within the Quran. As well as his mannerisms and his dealings. When you look at this individual, you see this individual, he implements what he knows of the religion. It's allowed to be jealous of that person from the angle of you wish you were like him or her. Without having the, the, the feeling in one's heart that you wish the person did not have what they have. Another characteristic Al-Bukhl, stinginess. Allah Azza wa Jal, he mentions, الَّذِينَ يَبْخَلُونَ وَيَعْمُرُونَ النَّاسَ بِالْبُخْلِ وَيَقْتُمُونَ مَا آتَاهُمُ اللَّهُ بِنْ فَضْلِي Those who are stingy, and they command the people of stinginess, and they conceal that which Allah has given them from his virtue. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he stated, فَوَصَفَهُمْ بِالْبُخْلِ الَّذِي هُوَ الْبُخْلِ بِالْعِلْمِ وَالْمَالِ So he described them with stinginess, which was the stinginess when it comes to knowledge and when it comes to wealth, they were stingy. They would not share the knowledge with the people, and they were stingy when it comes to the wealth. For وصف المقبوب عليهم بأنهم يكتمون العلم تارة بخلا به. So he described the people who Allah's who the anger is upon them from Allah. I mean, Allah described them, those whom His anger is upon, that they conceal the knowledge 
at times out of stinginess, holding on to it and not wanting to give the people the knowledge or disseminate the knowledge amongst the people. Also, at times, they conceal the knowledge because they don't want someone to have the upper hand if they were to have the knowledge. Out of fear that, as the Shaykh mentions, وَتَارَةً خَوْفًا مِنْ أَنْ يُحْتَجْ عَلَيْهِمْ بِمَا أَظْهَرُوهُ مِنْ and at times, out of fear that the knowledge will be used against them. So they don't want to give the people the knowledge. Because the people then will have the knowledge and then they will use this knowledge against them when these individuals, they display that which goes against the knowledge. So what they do, they hold the knowledge back. At times, they conceal the knowledge for a worldly agenda, seeking something from the dunya, so they hold it back so that the people don't get ahead when it comes to the matters of the dunya, or that they are the ones who attain something from the worldly life. The Shaykh mentions, وَهَادَ قَدْ أُبْطُولِيَا بِهِ تَوَائِثْ مِنَ الْمُنْتَسِبِينَ لِلْعِلْمِ and this is something that groups from those who are ascribed to the knowledge have been tested with, many from amongst the Muslims. You have Muslims who have been tested with this same type of characteristic, concealing the knowledge and being stingy with the knowledge. فَيَكْتُمْ الْعِلْمْ تَارَةً بُخْلًا so you'll find at the end for So at times you the knowledge will be concealed by these individuals who are Muslims who ascribe to the knowledge out of stinginess and not wanting other than them to attain from virtue that which they attained. So they don't give the knowledge to the people because they don't want the people to have the status that they have. So if they have the knowledge and the people remain ignorant, what happens? You always have to go to this individual or be under the individual. So though they don't direct you to take knowledge from where they took the knowledge from, So, these individuals, they keep the people ignorant because they don't want the people to have what they have, a virtue and status. So you always have to go through them. They won't encourage the people to learn the Arabic language and to go overseas 
to study and to take from where they took from. Rather, just be with us and we will guide you. So they give the people what they want to give them instead of directing the people to the source so they can drink from the fountain just as they have drunk from the fountain. But they want to take cups, small cups, take a little bit of the water and say, drink this little bit. Also, the knowledge is concealed for the purpose of leadership and wealth. Worldly matters. So they don't allow the people to attain the knowledge they have so that they can remain in power and that they can remain in control. Because they fear that if they were to teach the people the knowledge, then this is going to take away from their power and their leadership and their wealth. وَتَارَةً يُخَالِفُ غَيْرَهُ فِي مَسْأَلَةٍ فَيَقْتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ مَا فِيهِ حُجَّةٌ لِمُخَالِفِهِ And at times you find that the individual, he conceals the knowledge in a matter that the proof is for the one who is in opposition to him. So his uh, his adversary or the one who he's in dispute with, his disputant, the proof is with the disputant and he knows it. But instead of just submitting and saying, the truth is with you. Because sometimes a person may be saying something, which is correct, but they don't have the actual evidence for it. But with this, their position is correct. But the other person has the knowledge to verify what the individual is saying, but he's against them. So he conceals it, he hides it. So that the person looks like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or that his position is one of falsehood. But he knows within himself that the one who is disputing with him has the truth. is correct. This is actually from the signs of the hypocrites. The prophet mentioned, وَإِذَا خَاسَمَ فَجَرْ And when he disputes and argues, he's corrupt. And what is meant by he is corrupt, that one of the meanings is that he knows the truth is with the one who is who he is arguing with, but he conceals it and he continues to defend and argue on his position of falsehood. That's from the characteristics of the hypocrites. If you are wrong, you're wrong. Don't remain patient and consistent upon being in error. If the truth is with someone else, submit to the truth. Regardless of who is the one speaking with the truth. Regardless. Even if it is a non-Muslim that brings a matter of truth to us. And we know it's the truth. We submit to the truth. We don't sit with this person. He's not a Muslim. So what you're going to continue to stay upon falsehood and combat falsehood just because of one. 
you're going to continue to stay upon falsehood and combat the truth just because the one who's bringing the truth is not a Muslim? We don't look at who's the one bringing it. We rather look at what's, what's being presented. What's being presented? Irregardless of the face or the color or the gender of the one who's presenting the truth. And this is, uh, again, from the ways of the hypocrites, that they are the ones who continue and argue upon falsehood and they know that they are wrong. This is a characteristic that is not befitting. Another characteristic, Adamul al-Qiyad al-Haq idha khalafa matbu'ah. Not submitting to the truth when the truth opposes the one who the person follows. Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentions, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ آمِنُوا بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ قَالُوا نُؤْمِنْ بِمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَيْنَا وَيَكْفُرُونَ بِمَا وَرَاءَهُ وَهُوَ الْحَقِّ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا مَعْهُمْ And when it is said to them, believe in that which Allah has revealed, they say, we believe in that which has been revealed to us. And we disbelieve in that which is after it. Even though it is the truth confirming that is with them, that which is with them. And this is after Allah said, وَكَانُوا مِنْ قَبُلْ يَسْتَفْتِحُونَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا And before, they used to say to those who disbelieve that there is going to come a prophet and we are going to be with him against you. But then when that prophet came, they said we only believe in what has been revealed to us and whatever comes after that, we don't believe in it. Why? Because they viewed it as opposing their way, those whom they follow. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he stated, فَوَصَفَ الْيَهُودِ بِأَنَّهُمْ لَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ النَّبِيِّ النَّاطِقِ بِهِ مِنْ غَيْرِ طَائِفَةِ يَهْوُونَهَا لَمْ يَنْقَادُوا لَهَا فَإِنَّهُمْ لَا يَقْبَلُونَ الْحَقِّ إِلَّا مِنَ الطَّائِفَةِ الَّتِي هُمْ مُنْتَسِبُونَ إِلَيْهَا He said, so Allah described That when the eloquent speaking prophet came to them, but he came from a group other than that which they desired, meaning he came from Ismail, the lineage of Ismail. They did not submit to the truth that was with him. So they do not accept the truth except from the group that they are connected to or they are they ascribe themselves to. Even though with their claim or with this action of theirs only accepting the truth from their particular group, they don't even follow that which their creed commands them to do anyway in the first place. So even in their saying that they don't believe in anything that's after what has come to them, 
there's deficiencies in their belief in what has come to them. Because even in what has come to them, and specifically dealing with the Yahud, in their book, there's the mentioning of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So they say they follow that which had been revealed to Musa. Okay, and that which Musa brought is the mentioning of the coming of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So are you really truly followers of Musa? The Shaykh says, وَهَذَا يُبْتَلَ بِهِ كَثِيرٌ مِنَ الْمُنْتَسِبِينَ إِلَى طَائِفَةً مُعَيِّنَةً فِي الْعِلْمِ أو الدين مِنَ الْمُتَفَقِّهَا وَالْمُتَصَوِّفَةَ فَإِنَّهُمْ لَا يَقْبَلُونَ مِنَ الدِّينِ إِلَّا مَا جَاءَتْ بِهِ طَائِفَتُهُمْ مَعَ أَنَّ دِينَ الْإِسْلَامِ يُوجِبُ إِتِّبَاعَ الْحَقِّ مُطْلَقَةً رِوَايَةً وَفِقْهًا من غير تعيين من غير تعيين شخص أو طائفة غير الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم. The Sheikh mentions many of those who ascribe to a specific group in the matters of knowledge or religion from the people of fiqh and mutasawifa, like the Sufis. They do not accept the religion except from that which comes from their group. Although the religion of Islam obligates that you unrestrictedly follow the truth. When it comes to the narrations, you accept them. And when it comes to the understanding of the narrations, Without specifying any specific individual that it has to come for, come from, or any specific group other than the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So what this means, barakallahu fiqum, you find some people who are fanatical when it comes to the following of the madhabs, the imams. They are who they are and they have the status and virtue that they have. But all of them, and I'm speaking about the four imams, all of them commanded their followers that if they say something wrong against the proof, leave their statement and follow the proof. But unfortunately, you find individuals, they don't do this. Whatever the madhab says, that's what they follow unrestrictedly. This is not allowed. Because every person, his statement can be accepted or rejected except for the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu For it is possible that a person is right, it's possible that the person is wrong. Only the Prophet sallallahu is always right when it comes to what he conveyed in the religion. Because it doesn't come from himself, it comes from Allah. And Allah, he doesn't make any mistakes. So it was important that we do not follow this way from the people of the book that they only accept that which comes from their group or the one they follows. Even if that which comes to them from another group or another person who they don't follow is the truth, they won't follow it because it hasn't come from them. This is an evil characteristic. Rather, we follow the truth. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa confirmed that 
the shaitan spoke the truth. In the narration where Abu Huraira radiallahu an, he was guarding the zakat of fitr. And while guarding the zakat of fitr, a person came and stole. And Abu Huraira caught the person. He said, I'm taking you to the Messenger of Allah. He said, please don't take me. I'm a poor man. My family is poor. I'm in need. Abu Huraira released him. The next morning, the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and this was by way of revelation. What did you do with your companion last night? He said, O Messenger of Allah, I let him go. He said he was a poor man, and his family was poor, and he was in need. The Prophet said, he will return. And this is by way of revelation, the Prophet knew this. So he comes back the second night, steals again. Abu Huraira catches him a second time. I'm taking you to the Prophet, to the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Again, the same excuse. I'm a poor man, my family is in poor, we are in need. Please let me go. Abu Huraira being kind and having sympathy, he releases him. The next morning, the Prophet wasallam said, what did you do with your companion last night? <laughs> Abu Huraira said, the man said he was poor. He was in need. I let him go. The Prophet wasallam said, he will return. The Abu Huraira catches him a third time. He said, that's it. I'm taking you to the Messenger of Allah. He said, if you release me, I will teach you that which if you recite it at night, it will be a protection for you until the morning from the shayateen. Abu Huraira said, what is it? He said, Ayatul Kursi. Abu Huraira left him and went to the Prophet wasallam, And the Prophet asked him, what happened? And he said, he told me that if I let him go, he would teach me that which if I recited at night, it would be a protection for me until the morning from the shayateen. He says, Ayatul Kursi. Look what the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sarakaka walakinahu kadhub. He said, he spoke the truth to you. However, he's a habitual liar. He said, indeed, it was the shaitan. So even in this case, the Prophet confirmed that what was said is the truth. The Prophet wasallam said, no, that, that's not correct, because it came from shaitan. Well, he confirmed the truth, but then at the same time, he clarified the condition of the individual who it came from. And this doesn't mean that some people say, they use this narration to say, we can sit with the people of innovation. Take the good, leave the bad. No, no, no. Abu Huraira didn't go looking for him. Abu Huraira wasn't looking for shaitan to learn the good and leave the bad from him. No. He came to Abu Huraira and conveyed something. And on top of that, Abu Huraira went back to the Prophet ﷺ to confirm whether this matter is correct or not. 
So this cannot be used, or this incident is not to be used as a proof for the permissibility of sitting with the people who we know to be people of deviance and misguidance and say, take the good and leave the bad. No. You go to those who are known to be upright in the religion and good people in the religion and that their knowledge is sound. These are the people you sit with to learn the religion. You don't go to someone who you know to be evil, who you know to be a liar and take your religion from the person saying, take the good and leave the bad. But the point is that even though this was the shaitan who gave this information, the Prophet confirmed it because the truth is the truth. And the truth is from Allah. And it's, it's possible at times that even a wicked person may say that which is correct. You don't reject the truth because it came from a wicked person. No, you accept the truth. And you go on and following the truth. But some people, unfortunately, because the truth comes from someone who they don't like or who they don't follow or who they're not connected with, they will reject the truth based upon that. This is incorrect. And this is from the ways of the people of the book. There are other matters, but inshallah ta'ala in the classes to come we will cover them. And we move on to the next class. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een amma ba'd. We had arrived to the matters of the fitrah or the sunan of the fitrah. And we covered in the previous classes the narration on the authority of Abu Hurairah radiallahu an. Qala qala Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam khamsun min al-fitrah al-istihdad wal-khitan wa qassu al-sharib that five matters are from the fitrah, the removal of the pubic hairs, circumcision, shortening the mustache, plucking the hair of the armpits, and clipping the, the fingernails or the nails. And another narration on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha, she stated that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ashrun min al-fitrah, qastu al-sharib, wa i'fa'u al-lihya, wa siwak, wa istinshaqu al-ma', wa qastu al-adhfar, wa ghasl al-barajim, wa natfu al-ibit, wa halqu al-'ana, wa intiqasu al-ma', wa qala Zakariya, qala Mus'ab, so Aisha radiallahu anha She mentioned that the messenger of Allah Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Said ten things are from the fitrah And we covered that The hadith that mentions five Is not a contradiction of the hadith that mentions ten Rather the hadith that mentions five Is mentioning five of the things that are from the fitrah And not that there are only five things from the fitrah so there is no contradiction between the two. And then the narration that mentions ten, it just mentions more than the five. So the Messenger Sallallahu he said ten things are from the fitrah. Shortening the mustache, growing the beard, 
used in the siwak, making istinshaq of the water, meaning taking the water into your nose and cleaning your nose, shortening the fingernails, putting water in between the joints of your fingers, Uh, the plucking of the hair of the armpits, the shaving of the pubic hairs, cleaning oneself with water after relieving oneself in the istinja. And one of the sub-narrators, Zakaria, he mentioned that Mus'af said, and I forgot the tenth one except that I believe it is the mother mother putting the water into the mouth and rinsing out the mouth. So we covered dealing with the circumcision for men and women and the position that was mentioned is that it is obligatory upon the men and recommended for the woman. And the plucking of the hair of the armpits and the shaving of the pubic hairs and the clipping of the nails, we covered that. This must be done within a 40-day period. From the narration of Anas ibn Malik, radiallahu an, that he mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu gave us the time frame of 40 days. Meaning you can't go over 40 days. You cannot leave these things over 40 days. The clipping of the nails, the shortening of the mustache for the men, the removal of the pubic hairs and the plucking of the hairs of the armpits. Um, the scholars mention that you can use, as an example, hair removal to remove the hairs of the armpits and the hairs of the privates. Or you can use a razor or that which removes the hairs. And the clipping of the nails should be done within this period. So the woman should not have extremely long nails as this is unsanitary, you know, and this is from the fitra, from cleanliness, this is from the ways of the prophets and the messengers. So the woman must be mindful of it, as well as you have some men, sometimes their fingernails are long. These fingernails have to be clipped within the 40-day period. It should not go over and beyond that 40-day period. And for the men, Allahu A'lam. If you could bring me the narration, that would be good. I've never heard that before. But just because I didn't hear it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'm just saying as for myself, I didn't hear it. But if you can bring me the narration, you know, that would be good if the narration is authentic. Alhamdulillah. Um, for the men, we are not allowed to cut our beards. This is from the fitrah. And cutting the beard is a sin. And cutting the beard, it falls under the category of the imitation of women. Because women are the ones who don't have facial hair. And if a woman does have facial hair, she's to remove this facial hair so that she doesn't resemble the men. Facial hair meaning like beard, mustache. But it's not allowed for the woman to pluck her eye or to cut her eyebrows. This is not allowed. For the woman, you find the woman, they do this. This is not allowed. But for she has a beard under her chin, a mustache to where it looks like that which is a man will have, she is to remove it. 
so she does not resemble the men. And the Prophet ﷺ, he cursed the men who imitate women, and he cursed the women who imitate men, meaning Allah curses them. So one must be very careful when it comes to these affairs. And the removal of the hairs of the armpits and removal of the pubic hairs, this is a matter of cleanliness. As we covered the narration in the last class, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he, when returning back from a journey, he did not go straight to the homes, but rather he held up going to the homes to give the woman time to prepare themselves for the return of their husbands. So what the woman would do, they would go and shave themselves. Their private, the pubic hair, they would shave those hairs and then they would beautify themselves for their husbands. Showing that this matter, which is considered to be from the things of fitrah, is also from the matters of beautification for the human being. Today we look at as-siwak, or the usage of the siwak. The siwak is that which we say the miswak or the small stick that we use that comes from the tree to clean one's teeth. To clean one's teeth. And The usage of the siwak, it comes in the book of purification. And the connection that it has with the matter of purification is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As-siwak mutahira lil-fam murda lil-rab. That the siwak is a means of purification of the mouth. And it is that which pleases the Lord. A purification of the mouth and that which pleases the Lord. So here, Barakallah Fikum, two benefits mentioned by Two benefits mentioned by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The first benefit mentioned, purification for the mouth. And this is connected to the dunya affairs. Having one's mouth have a good scent so that one number one take care of one oral hygiene this is very important if a person doesn't take care his oral hygiene this can lead to other health complications gingivitis gum disease other than that the buildup of plaque and these things can cause other health complications. 
there is a famous statement, health is wealth. Health is wealth, wallah. And you have the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ni'matan maqboon fihima kathirun min nas Two blessings that many of the people are heedless of, and they don't take care of it. As-sihha wal-faraag, good health and free time. So a person must take care of one's health, both men and women. One must take care of one's health. Another point, barakallahu feekum, not to offend people with the odor of one's breath. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he forbade the person who has eaten onion and garlic from coming to the masjid for prayer. And that is because the malaika, they are harmed by that which the children of Adam are harmed by. And mind you, onion and garlic, these are benefits for your health. Consuming onions and garlic benefits your health. Purification of the blood, and, I mean, and other than that, you can name the benefits. But when you eat raw onions or raw garlic, there's an odor that remains on the breath. So the Prophet said, whoever has eaten the onions and the, or the garlic, don't come to the masjid. Why? Because the odor is on your breath. So you're not to come to the masjid until the odor is removed. This doesn't apply to cooked onions and garlic that doesn't have an odor. And one should not eat onions and garlic on purpose to have a reason not to go to the masjid. Right. If the if the odor is there, don't go until you can remove the odor. If you're able to remove the odor, uh, clean your mouth, take a mint, come, then go to the masjid. But one should not do this purposely in order, to avoid in order to avoid praying salat in congregation. This is not allowed. Don't play around with Allah's religion. For Allah, He knows. Allah knows. Yeah, the intent is in your heart. Allah sees what's in your heart. So when you say, you look at the clock, the salat is near, you go to the kitchen and go get some onion and eat your wife said, oh, you going to the masjid? No, I just I had some onions. Oh, no, love. This is not befitting. So the angels are harmed by that which the children of Adam are harmed by. And here the harm is the odor that comes from the breath. So this is not restricted to the masjid as far as cleaning your mouth so that you do not harm people by the odor of your mouth. This is outside of the masjid. And the proof that this is outside of the masjid, the narration of Aisha radiallahu anha, where she was asked by Shuraih, قَالَ سَأَلْتُ عَائِشَةَ قُلْتْ بِأَيِّ شَيْءٍ كَانَ يَبْدَأُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا دَخَلَ بَيْتَهِ 
Shurayh, he said, I asked Aisha radiallahu anha, what is the first thing that the Prophet used to begin with when he would enter into his house? Qalat bisiwak. She said he would start with the usage of the siwak. So when the Prophet would return home, what's the first thing he would do? Use the siwak. For what purpose? So that his mouth has a good odor when he goes to his wife. Perhaps she wants to greet him as he's coming in. He's been outside all day, walking around, maybe ate outside, although it changes the odor of the mouth. So when a person comes to the house, he should use the siwak. Clean the mouth. So that when he goes to his wife and she may want to kiss him or he wants to kiss her, there's no odor. Because if you go to kiss your spouse and your spouse, your spouse has an odor in the mouth, it, it kind of like, it's like a deterrent. And you don't want this to be an opening for the shaitan to come in and start causing problems in the marriage because somebody had bad breath. This is something different. You can use the siwak while you listen to You can use the siwak when you're fasting. We'll get to that. But the, the scholars mentioned that the odor that comes from the mouth of the fasting person is not from the mouth. It's from the stomach due to there being no food there. So even when you use the siwak and you brush your teeth, the odor is going to come back because there's no food on the stomach. But that odor is more pleasing to Allah and more beloved with Allah than the smell of the musk oil. So the point, the point, the point here is that the usage of the siwak is for the purification of the mouth, for your personal uh, oral hygiene, and so that you do not offend another with the odor of your breath. And the second matter mentioned by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that it is a means of pleasing the Lord Allah Azawajal. Why is this something that pleases Allah? It is from the matters of the fitrah. And the fitrah is something that the prophets and the messengers practiced. And that which was a practice of the prophets and messengers is something that Allah legislated. So the usage of the siwak is not something that's for our ummah. It was present with the previous prophets and messengers. And they were clean their mouths. And when you find that something has been practiced by the prophets and messengers, whether it's a matter of worship or something from uh, mannerisms or it's a something connected to the belief system, this is an indication that this matter is a fundamental principle or foundation in the religion. Any prophets? The, the, when the matters of fitrah or the sunan of the fitrah or the fitrah, these are things that the prophets used to do. Well, our, prophet. our prophet and others. 
which shows that the importance of these things. Ibrahim alayhi salam, he circumcised himself. Allahu alam, but the point I'm saying is that the scholars when they explain what's the fitrah, they say the fitrah is that which the prophets and the messengers used to practice. So the siwak is from this. So this is something that was done by the prophets and the messengers which gives the indication of the importance of the siwak. It's something that pleases Allah because this is what the prophets and the messengers used to do. So when you follow the way of the prophets and the messengers, Allah is pleased with you. Allah is pleased with your act. Allah is pleased with your statement. Or Allah is pleased with that which you believe because this is the way of the prophets and the messengers. The siwak is recommended in a number of occasions. One of them we covered. When one is entering into his home, as Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned, the first thing that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam began with was the usage of the siwak. So when a person uses the siwak, it is important that he has the intention that he is following the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam as well as other prophets and messengers. So that you can get the reward for using the siwak. That you're implementing a religious act. As for if you just use the siwak to clean your mouth, just for the purpose of having good oral hygiene, and that's it. Not because the religion commands with it, but just to have good oral hygiene, you don't get the reward. We're going to get there. We're going to get there, inshallah. So this is an important point. And, it, and that matters for the sisters also. Don't think it's upon the men to use the siwak when they come into the home so their breath smells good. And not offend you, but then you've been laying around the house all day, and now your breath has an odor, and you offend him. <laughs> no. Likewise, when you know your husband is coming home, prepare yourself for greeting him and meeting him. Make sure your breath is also uh, good smelling so that you don't offend him. The rights go both ways. The good treatment goes both ways. The husband is to be good to his wife, the wife is to be good to her husband. So just as we find in the religion the things that a husband is to do so to please his wife and not to harm her, likewise there are things upon her to do so that she pleases him and doesn't harm him. Another time one is encouraged to use the siwak when making wudu. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لولا أن أشق على أمتي لأمرتهم بالسواك مع الوضوء. أبو هريرة he mentioned 
radiyallahu an on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had it not been me making a hardship upon my nation I would have commanded them to use the siwak when they make wudu but the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam did not command with the usage of siwak when making wudu but it is highly recommended using the siwak when making wudu is better than making wudu without using the siwak and the usage of the siwak when making wudu is more of a means of cleaning the mouth Number three, when one is about to make salah, we have the narration, عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لولا أن أشق على أمتي لأمرتهم بالسواك عند كل صلاة. Abu Hurairah he mentioned, رضي الله عنه, that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said. Had it not been me making a hardship upon my nation, I would have commanded them to use the siwak at every prayer. Point. Using the siwak before you make salah, that salah is better than the salah where the person doesn't use the siwak. So to increase the reward of your prayer, Use the siwak before you begin your prayer. That prayer is better than the prayer where you don't use the siwak. Another time... When one is going to recite the Qur'an. An Ali radiallahu an. Qala amarana. Bissiwak. Wa qala inna al-abd. Iza qama yusalli. Atahu malak. Faqama khalfahu. Wa yastami'u al-Qur'an. Wa yadnu. فَلَا يَزَارُ يَسْتَمِعُ وَيَدْنُ حَتَّى يَضَعْ فَاهُ عَلَى فِيهِ فَلَا يَقْرَ آيَةً إِلَّا كَانَتْ فِي جَوْفِ الْمَلَكِ On the authority of Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu anhu, he mentioned the Prophet commanded us to use the siwak. And a command is two types, commandment of obligation, commandment of recommendation. Here the commandment is a commandment of recommendation, not commandment of obligation due to the other texts.
Ali ibn Abi Talib mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ said that when the servant stands up to pray, an angel comes to him and stands behind him and listens to the Qur'an and he draws near to him. So this angel does not cease to listen attentively to the Qur'an and draw near to him until he puts his mouth upon his mouth. So the person does not recite a verse from the Qur'an except that it is in the mouth of the angel. So the angel, this is due to the love of the Qur'an and being near to the slave when he's doing the act of ibadah. So Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying, be doing, being that the angel is coming near to you at this time of reciting the Qur'an, Use the sea wax so that your mouth is pleasant and doesn't harm the angel. Go back to the other narration. The angels are harmed by that which the son of Adam is harmed by. So if, if you have eaten onion or garlic, don't come to the masjid. Because it's offensive. So you don't want to have an odor on your breath when you're reciting the Quran. Because it can harm and offend the angels. So when a person is going to recite the Qur'an, whether in the salah or outside of the salah, it's important that the person has a good smelling odor or a good smell, pleasant smell, coming from one's breath. Comes near to it, comes the salah. In this narration, it mentions the salah. But remember, the angels, they come to the gatherings of knowledge in the galleries where the Quran is recited. When the people sit in the masjid and they study the Quran and go over the Quran, the malaika they come. It shows that when a person is doing acts of goodness, the malaika they come near to you. So you want to have good smell coming from your mouth. Another time when a person gets up during the night like a person is getting up to make tahajjud it is recommended that when you get up at night to use the siwak an hudayfa radiyallahu an qala kana rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idha qama liyatahajjada yususu fa bisiwak Hudayfa radiallahu an mentioned that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to clean his mouth with the siwak when he would get up at night to make tahajjud. Because you know once you, when you're sleeping, the odor in your mouth changes. So when you wake up, you're going to make tahajjud, clean your mouth, and then go and stand to worship your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are some of the matters connected to the siwak. And perhaps next week, inshallah, we will continue mentioning some more benefits. And we move on to the last class. Bismillah, alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salam ala nabiyyina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Amma ba'd. So we continue with benefits from the 
biography of the wife of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Sauda bin Zama'ah and we covered in the last class that she was a means of delight uh, for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as she married him after the death of Khadija radiallahu anha and she became the mother over his daughters Mecca and Khadija died in the 10th year of the prophethood the Prophet sallallahu was suggested it was suggested to him that he marries a woman who has been previously married and that he marries a virgin. And the one who suggested this to him was Khawla bint Hakim. Khawla bint Hakim. Khadija, she died in the 10th year of prophethood. Three years before the Hijrah. And this year is known as the year of sadness. Because both Khadija and Abu Talib died in this year. And Abu Talib, he was a means of protection for the Prophet wasallam and the Muslims. And Khadija radiallahu anha, she was a support for the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. She was a moral support for him. She aided him financially from her wealth. And she was like a backbone for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So when both of them died, this was a sad time for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And after their death, the, the Quraysh, they begin to step up their persecution. It intensified and the matter became very uh, tense, Jazakallah khayrin, and strenuous upon the Prophet Sallallahu and the Muslims. So after the death of Khadija, he married Sauda. And he was with Sauda for the three years, just him and her. And then when the Prophet had made hijrah uh, to Medina, he consummated the marriage with Aisha there. He married Aisha in Mecca, meaning the contract was done. But the marriage was not, uh, he did not consummate the marriage until three years later when he migrated to Medina. So the one who suggested that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam marry Sauda was Khawla bint Hakim. She was the wife of Uthman ibn Madhu'un. She said, Ya Rasulullah, Ala tatazawwaj, O Messenger of Allah, aren't you not going to remarry? Qala man, who? Qalat in shit bikran wa in shit thayyiban. She said, if you wish, you can marry a virgin, 
And if you wish, you can marry a woman who's been previously married. Here, Barakallah Fikum, it shows the methodology and the way of the Sahaba of encouraging one another with good. Here it is, the Prophet Wasallam is sad due to the loss of his most beloved wife, Khadija. And here is the Sahabiyah coming saying, Oh Messenger of Allah, aren't you going to remarry again? Encouraging him to do good. Not to forget Khadija. Never. But for him to continue on with life. And to remarry due to the benefits that are present within marriage. And he has daughters in the home whose mother has passed, their mother has have passed away. So aren't you going to remarry? So he said, who? So she said, if you wish, you can marry a virgin. Showing the encouragement of marrying a virgin. And if you wish, you can marry a woman who's been previously married. Showing that one should not look down upon the woman who had been previously married. Sometimes brothers, they only look at women who are virgins for marriage and overlook the woman who have been previously married as if they are damaged goods. This is incorrect. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the best of men and he chose the best of the women and all of his wives except for Aisha radiallahu anha wa radiallahu anhunna all of his wives were women who were previously married. Except for Aisha. Aisha, radiallahu anha, was the only virgin that he married. So he stated, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, فَمَنِ Who's the virgin? قَالَتْ إِبْنَةُ أَحَبِّ خَلْقِ اللَّهِ Aisha, bint Abi Bakr. قَالَ وَمَنِ الثَّيِّبِ قَالَتْ سَوْدَى بِنْتِ زَمْعَةِ آمَنَتْ بِكَ وَاتَّبَعَتْكَ عَلَى مَا تَقُولِ So the Prophet ﷺ asked her, Who's the virgin that you said, meaning who's the virgin that you are suggesting that I should marry? She said, the daughter of the most beloved of the creation of Allah to you. Look how she worded that. The daughter of the most beloved of the creation of Allah to you. Number one, it was known amongst the people that the Prophet wasallam loved Abu Bakr with a great love. And that's due to Abu Bakr radiallahu an believing when the Messenger وسلم, called him to Islam, no hesitation. And when the people said what they said about him, Abu Bakr stood with the Prophet وسلم, defended him. He was with the Prophet وسلم, from the time he became a messenger, all the way. So he, he had virtue. 
Then he had a, a great place in the heart of the Prophet Wasallam, and it's known amongst the people. So she said, Aisha, the daughter of Abu Bakr. And here is the encouragement of marrying women who come from good families. Because her father is a good righteous man and more than likely, and alhamdulillah, this is the case here, he raised his daughter upon goodness and righteousness. So whenever one suggests or propose marriage to a person, let them suggest the best of the people and encourage a person to marry from the best of the woman, meaning the most religious of the woman. Those who come from religious backgrounds, religious families, religious homes. And when you marry a woman that is religious, the Prophet said, Taribat yadak. May your hands be covered with dirt, meaning success. He said, and who is the thayyib? The thayyib meaning one who, a female who's been married previously. She said, Sauda bin Zama'a. She believed in you and she followed you upon that which you have said. Allahu Akbar. So here, Khawla, you can see her intelligence. She encouraged the Prophet ﷺ to marry Aisha by mentioning the daughter of the most beloved of the creation of Allah to you. And she encouraged him to marry Sauda bin Zama by saying, She believed in you and she followed you upon that which you have stated. Mentioning her virtue. So if you are one who are, you are suggesting to a brother to marry a woman. And likewise, this goes the opposite way. If a woman or a man is being suggested to a woman to marry, we should mention the virtues why you should marry this person. To the one who you are suggesting the individual to. As a means of encouraging the person to marry this good individual, whether it be a male or a female. And this is from the Sunnah. Because the Prophet wasallam did not rebuke her for what she said. Look what he says. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Fadhabi Fadhkurihima alayya He said, so go and meaning go to the families of these two women and mention me to the families. Showing the permissibility of sending a representative on your behalf to the families of the woman who you are seeking out to be your wife. Also from this, Barakallah Fikum, 
The permissibility of a man proposing to two women at one time. All right. <laughs> because he said, go and mention me to both of them. Right? Showing that plural marriage is from Islam. And here is the woman who is representing the Prophet wasallam in this affair. So she went to Abu Bakr radiallahu an or the house of Abu Bakr radiallahu an and she said Ya Umuruman Mada Adhalallahu Azza Wajar Alaikum in Al Khaiwal Baraka Kalat Wamada Kalat Arsalani Rasulullahi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ahtub Ilahi Aisha قالت انتظري أبا بكر حتى يأتيا. So she went to the house of Abu Bakr radiallahu an, and Khawla she said, O oh mother of Roman, what has Allah entered upon you all of goodness and, and blessings? She said, What are you talking about? She said, The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent me on his behalf to propose to Aisha. The mother said, wait for Abu Bakr to come. Allahu Akbar. Here, being married to a religious man is a matter of good and barakah for that family. And of course, the most religious of us is the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So this was the greatest of good and blessings when it comes to a man being married to your daughter. But this is not restricted to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Meaning, from the aspect of when a family marries their daughter off to a religious man. There's also good in barakah in that. Because the man is religious, he fears Allah. And the man is going to take care of the daughter that the father is marrying this man to. The daughter is from the prized possessions of a father. And from the most beloved of that which is in the dunya to him. So when you brothers, you go to propose to the fathers asking for the hands of their daughters, make sure you go correct. Make sure that you have your situation together. Don't come to the table with nothing or half prepared because this is a serious matter, a man giving his daughter away. Come to the table with pure intentions 
a clean heart. Come to the table being prepared financially, being prepared religiously, understanding what are your duties and obligations and responsibilities, seeking Allah's aid and doing good by this family. For this is in a manner, this is a trust. And how would you want someone to come to you, O Father, for your daughter? Be mindful, all of us. And whatever mistakes we have made in marriage is upon us to make tawbah immediately. And pray that Allah protects our daughters from men who have made the mistakes we have made. Seriously. We have to be, you know, sincere and truthful with ourselves. Would you want your daughter to marry a man like you? Yeah, everyone has to ask themselves this question. And if you can't answer with yes, then you know that you have to rectify your affair. You know that there are things you need to straighten out in your life, make told before, and correct because you don't want done to your daughter that which you are doing to the daughter of someone else. Be mindful. So she said, wait for Abu Bakr to come. And this was a great response because Abu Bakr, he's the father and he's the one who's responsible for his daughter Aisha as a woman is not allowed to marry a woman off in Islam. And the decision does not remain, or the decision is not with the mother. The decision of marriage is with the father and the daughter. Is father uh, absent, the brother is responsible? Yes, the brother is responsible. Or a son, if she's an older a woman who's been previously married, she has an older son, the son... فجاء أبو بكر فقالت يا أبا بكر ماذا أدخل ماذا أدخل الله عز وجل عليكم من الخير والبركة قال وماذا قالت أرسلني رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أخطب إليه عائشة. So when Abu Bakr رضي الله عنه came, خولا she repeated the same statement. Oh, Abu Bakr, what has Allah entered upon you of good and barakah? He said, what is it? She said, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he sent me to propose to Aisha on his behalf. قال, وَهَلْ تَصْلَحْ لَهُ إِنَّمَا هِيَ إِبْنَةُ أَخِيهِ فَرَجَعَتْ إِلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ فَرَجَعْتُ إِلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ فَذَكَرْتُ ذَلِكَ لَهُ قَالَ إِرْجِعِي إِلَيْهِ فَقُولِي لَهُ أَنَا أَخُوكَ وَأَنْتَ أَخِي فِي الْإِسْلَامِ 
وابنتك تصلح لي فرجعت فذكرت ذلك له قال انتظري وخرج So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said is she suruhu for him Indeed she is the daughter of his brother Meaning Abu Bakr is saying that me and him are so close he's like an uncle to her he can marry her so she said i went back to the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and i mentioned that to him she he said sallallahu alaihi wasallam go back to him and say to him i am your brother and you are my brother in islam and your daughter is suitable for me so she went back to Abu Bakr and she mentioned that to him and he said wait and he left out. We're going to stop here because it's, it's, the narration is extremely long. But here, and this is a very important point. When it comes to marriage, who can one marry, who can't one marry, one has to look at this matter according to Islam, not the customs. And we here, especially here in America, we have a custom of saying, so-and-so is my brother, or so-and-so is my sister, or so-and-so is my uncle, or so-and-so is my aunt. Not because there is a blood tie, but because of the closeness of the families to one another. You may have a neighbor, and he's your best friend, and y'all grew up together. So you say, oh, we're brothers. We're brothers. And but he likes your sister and she likes him you can't say oh you're like a brother to me but you're not really brothers as far as the blood tie is concerned he's lawful for her she's lawful for him so Abu Bakr he said she is the daughter of your brother or of his brother. She's suitable for him? And then the Prophet clarified, we are brothers. But we are brothers in Islam. Meaning, we're not brothers from the same mother and father or from the same mother or the same father. But we are brothers in Islam. I'm not, the Prophet is not denying the brotherhood that exists between them. But that brotherhood is from the religion, not from the blood tie. So, she is allowed for him. And again, the point is that in these affairs, and in all other affairs also, but specifically in these matters dealing with marriage, the rules and regulations of Islam are looked at. As for who is allowed for who, and who is not allowed for who. 
So when the response of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam reached Abu Bakr, Abu Bakr radiallahu an, he said to her, "Wait," and then he left out. And then, inshallah, next week we'll cover why he told her to wait because there was some other. Uh, Another situation that was there where the Prophet, where Abu Bakr radiallahu an had made a promise to marry Aisha to someone else. And this is the wait a minute, let me go and see about this matter. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Whatever is incorrect, it is for myself.